Good afternoon. You know, interesting, when I listen to sermon, sermonettes, I remember Mr. Armstrong's... Uh... So you came. <laughs> Years ago, I can go, Mr. Armstrong gave a sermon, and... Uh, in the sermon, he mentioned something which is very interesting. Because once I asked him, I said, look, you're the apostle and you're giving lessons to all of us. And when a freshman takes notes, or when a freshman gives a sermon, what do you learn? That's a good question, isn't it? Here's a man who is teaching us. And then he takes notes when a freshman speaks. He looked at me. He says, you'll be surprised. He says, every time I listen to a sermon or sermonette, I get ideas. That's very true. Can you hear me all right? Yes, no? <laughs> I don't hear myself, you know. So, that is to me very interesting because of the fact oftentimes when people say, where do you get ideas for sermons? I can give the same answer too. Because when I listen to someone, I get ideas. Like Mr. McNair's sermon this morning, I was very interested because he made one statement which will give me, I'm sure, Ideas for articles or sermons. I don't know how many of you caught it. Because we all get different ideas anyway. He said, don't be disappointed. I'm just paraphrasing. If God doesn't give you always what you want, be thankful for it. It's interesting. Because if you always said what you wanted maybe it's not good for you so thank God that if you really put your heart in your desires if he doesn't give it to you don't be disappointed just be thankful now to me this feast means a lot so if you ever go to France this is the hardest feast to keep it is. No bread, no Frenchman. And especially the French baguette, you know. It's like, they're so good. <laughs> My, what well, I won't say. Anyway, so to me, a good question is, suppose in a country where they don't eat bread, how do you keep the unleavened bread? I can mention, mention to you quite a few countries where they don't eat bread. Anyway, that's a question I throw it to you. If you don't have the answer, I can give it to you later on. But the fact remains that, you see, when you listen to a sermon, 
try to find something in the sermon which is new. Or perhaps you never thought of it that way. And that's what Mr. Armstrong said to me. I remember so well. He said, from every sermonette given by freshmen, I learned something. Now, you, I don't know how many of you have uh, kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't know. I know there's a lady sitting here. But you see, you have heard so many sermons about the this feast, leaven. How much of it have you really kept? How much of it have you really learned? And what does this feast mean to you? It is not how much it means to other people. It is not how well you have kept in the past. The fact is, how well have you kept so that today, on this last day, as you heard time and again, what are you taking with you back when the, when the day is over? What have you learned? How much have you added to your knowledge? You know, I remember I was in Martinique and Mr. Joubert at that time, wonderful man, he said to me, you know, he said, to me, God's feast helped me get closer to Him. Now, it's a simple statement. It meant a lot to me. Can you say that God's feast means a lot to you? Is the day over, are you going to be smiling or happy or sad? You know, it is interesting because of the fact you heard so much about unleavened bread. You also heard a lot about sin, put the sin out. If you have to choose between the two, which would you choose? You know what's how much did you miss the bread or leaven? And how much did you miss doing the things you want to do and which are not good for you? Think about it. So those are the things we taught at the college in Pasadena. When you listen to sermon or read an article, Try to find out exactly how much can you get out of it. And how much can you keep out of what you learned. You see, some of us, brethren, we have been keeping the feast for years. We still don't get it. We get another famous statement on Mr. Armstrong. So people don't get it. Today. Now, how much did you really understand that today, the last day of the feast, uh, is something that you will never, never have again? That something came and went, the feast. 
sure you remember sermons, you remember whatever it is, but that's something you will never, never experience again. I remember my brother in Switzerland, he died a few years ago. I used to tell him, look, the Sabbath is something God ordered to us to keep. No. He will argue with me. You know what? He was right. Because his mind was not opened. He would have all reasons why not to keep the Sabbath. And one day, believe it or not, he was walking along the shores of Lake Geneva. He sees a priest. I don't know where, how, I don't know. And uh, my brother used to talk, converse. So, he sees somehow walking along the sidewalk, so they talk. And uh, my brother said, what's all this thing in the Bible we, we keep, the Sabbath and so forth? Now, I don't know honestly as to why and how this thing happened. The priest looks at him and says, look, we don't know really what the Bible means. At least he was honest. He said, I don't know why some people keep the Sabbath and some don't. He says, I don't even know why some people, especially Jews, keep God's feast in Leviticus. He knew Leviticus at least. <laughs> and my brother says, well, you're talking to a brother of mine. He preaches. He's on the radio. And the priest says, what's his name? Say so when, when my brother told him, he says, oh, listen to him. He has, a, he has the truth. How much of it was coincidence, I don't know. How much of it is God's inspired, I don't know. All I know, my brother did not listen to him. <laughs> it's sad. Because I tried so hard to explain. That priest, I don't know where he came from. He said, listen to him. See, brethren, there's a lot in a feast. There's a lot giving up bread, especially for a freshman. There's a lot to just listen to a sermon and just go over and not grasp that which is really important. Now, I was in Montreal years ago on a Sabbath day and I saw some people climbing the stairs of the cathedral, St. Joseph. On every step, some people, they say the rosary, 
another need again, rosary. There are about 50 steps. And that's, that's a lot of steps to climb on your knees. I did not make fun of it. I did not say pagans. It means a lot for these people to believe in something and to climb like that on the, on the knee on each step. Now, why, why am I saying this? What I've learned in God's church, there's much, of course, to know about the Bible and learn from the Bible, but I've learned ever since. Never, never make fun or laugh at someone who believes in something. It's wrong. They are not believing God's truth, I know. But these people are sincere in the, on their own ways. I've never tried, nor do I want to try, to climb steps, 50 steps, on my knees. Why am I saying this? Time and again in the Church of God, I've heard people make fun of others. Don't do it. That's a leaven you should put out of your life. Because those people are sincere, most of them are. They have not, not learned. But you see, your job, my job is one day to teach these people. I hate to think that one of them will say, you know, you made fun of me. I was climbing on my knees on the steps. You made fun of me. Radan explained to me. Radan help. So you and I, brethren, we have a job to do. All the sermons I learned here or gave, it always comes to the same departing point. Love people, respect people, don't make fun of them. Had God not opened your eyes, you wouldn't have understood either. I never understood why I kept, or people kept, or Mr. Armstrong told me that we should keep the feast. I said, why? God says so. To me, that's enough. Now, to some of us, that's not enough. Maybe you want to have other ideas, other proofs. To me, it's very interesting to go to small churches, as we went, my wife and I, and we saw some of the small, small churches, like in, I have to put this, uh, Smackover. I've never heard before Smackover. Some people, maybe you're much more educated than I am. It's a small city in Arkansas. Arkansas, a small city, Smackover. 
I said to my wife, what does it mean? <laughs> not laugh, she didn't know, I don't think you know. She said, well, that's something Indian or maybe French. I said, no, not, not French, I know. <laughs> but let's keep this clean. So I didn't know what smog over was, but I loved the smog over church. You know, here in Charlotte, you don't see the real church people because we're sure we have nice people, but over there maybe 10, 12, 14 people. It's a family. A small family, big problems. Sicknesses, divorce. And you just, when you go home, you pray, thy kingdom come. Much more than you do over here. Brethren, if you haven't learned much out of this feast, learn one thing, as Mr. McNair said, be thankful for what you have. Thankful for what God has given you, however little. Thankful that God has opened your mind. Thankful that you know the difference between spiritual leaven and physical leaven. That's plenty. I, I remember long ago, I was in Haiti. By the way, you better pray for me. Mr. Pierre, because he's still there, he's doing a good job from what I understand. He's returning Friday, this Friday, pray for him. You know what, I, I, I love to talk to him because there's nothing much you can get in Haiti. That's one place you, you don't wish to be in, except for the people. And except for the poor people I mentioned, they have nothing and they don't realize. In fact, one day I was talking to one of them, I said, don't you miss luxuries in life? Suppose I ask you that question, don't you miss luxuries of life? Like a car, suppose. He said, sir, you cannot miss something you have never had. See, that's where I get my ideas when I preach. You can't miss something you have never had. Now, the feast today, we put so much emphasis on leaven, but I would like to find out from you individually, you don't have to answer to me, as to what it means to you. What is it that you're refusing yourself? You heard the sermon today, which was very good, but you, you're giving up something. What are you giving up? I gave a sermon in uh, Smackover, Arkansas, and the title was Self-Denial. You know what? 
Seldom in my life have I gone over time for a sermon. And here in Arkansas, I went half an hour over because my watch had stopped. <laughs> I'm not trying to find an excuse, but honestly, I look at it, it was quarter to three afternoon. I said, I've got 30 more minutes. So I kept talking about self-denial. I look at my watch, quarter to three. I look at my wife. She's trying to make me realize I, I'm going over time. I didn't believe her. I believe my watch. <laughs> the Swiss watch, beautiful watch. Well, <laughs> anyway, and I still did not finish my sermon. I make lots of detours when I speak, and that's what I did over there too. Before I know it, I got overtime. I didn't finish it. So I would like to continue where I left off over there. <laughs> I, I mean it. The title was Self-Denial. What are you denying? Bread? What are you refusing yourself? Sin? What does it mean, self-denial? You know, hermits also have a self-denial practice. Nuns have a self-denial principles. Christians have their own. So my question is to continue and see what Christ said about self-denial. That's what the feast is about. Whether it's bread or not, or leaven or not, you're denying something to yourself. What did Christ say about self-denial? As I said, I started the sermon in Smackover, Arkansas. And then I did not finish it. I went around the world. Self-denial, could you check in the Bible or at this feast, could you say this is what I learned about self-denial? Let's start with Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Verse 24, Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, now look at this, you know, when you read the Bible, very carefully, go very carefully. It's not a question of reading over a verse. Oftentimes when I have a verse, I stop at each word practically and meditate. He says, if there's a condition, Matthew 24, 30, uh, 16, 24. If anyone, that could be you, that could be I. If anyone desires, see, look at the, I'm purposely stopping. That's the reason why sometimes I don't finish my sermon. If I desire, yes, I do. Then what? What do I desire? To come after me. That's the whole idea. 
That's why we are in the church of God. We want to be going with Christ, come after Him. Then what? Let Him deny Himself. To me, that explains what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is. That's right. See, if you really want to follow Christ, deny yourself, and what? That's not the end of it. Brethren, if you read the Bible this way, be much easier life you will have because you will understand lots of things which don't you don't understand today. Because you you go over it. Christ says, if anyone desires to come after me, understand. What am I supposed to do? Deny himself. Now I get something out of this verse. What do I have to deny? The things which are not good for me. The things which maybe I wish very badly. The things perhaps I still would like to do even if I am convinced it isn't good for me. See, that's the way my mind thinks. You don't have to think that way, but at least you can see how to study the Bible. But that's not the end of it either. You deny yourself and, look at this, take up his cross. That one verse, which I haven't finished yet, tells you exactly what the feast is all about. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross. What is your cross? Your cross could be sickness, poor poverty. Your cross could be trials, anything. Christ says you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Those three conditions here starts my sermon, continues my sermon, and finishes my sermon. That's what I did at Smack over in Acton, so practically. I spent so much time just this, this verse alone that I didn't realize I'd gone overtime. But there's a lesson for you and for me. Some people say, you know, I spend half an hour studying the Bible. Fine. But you might also have wasted half an hour. It is not a question of reading the Bible, it's a question of digesting the Bible. What I'm doing right now, that's what it is, we're digesting. You see, those three conditions, deny, deny yourself, check up your cross, follow Christ. Think about it. Then you understand what the Bible is all about. Then you understand what it means for someone who has never been with God's people. Then you understand what it means to not to miss something because you never had it. 
I've seen in, in my ministry, and I'm very thankful for it, lots of poor people. God has blessed me to visit poor people. I wish you had gone and seen in Martinique the first time I went. It was not on a feast day. It was feast day in the sense of the Sabbath. People didn't have chairs to sit down. They sat on the floor. They had no windows at 90 degrees outside. And they wanted to know what the Sabbath is about. They wanted to know. I preached in the morning, I preached in the afternoon, they wanted to Bible study in the evening. Do you think they wanted to learn from the Bible? So this is what I'm talking about when your heart is with God, when you're actually denying yourself. When you really understand that there are certain things God doesn't want you to do, as you heard this morning. Something not good for you. Don't even try to convince yourself. In Pasadena, we, sometimes we, we listen to Mr. Armstrong, and later on, Mr. Meredith, unfortunately, for almost three-hour sermons. Three-hour sermon, that's a long time. But you know what? It was good because we learned. I tease Mr. Meredith saying, you know, it was, you talk so much, sometimes I was really upset at you. Well, he's not talking that long anyway. Now we don't have to be reason to be upset at him. But the fact remains that if you want something bad enough, you don't think it's too long. Those are the things we learn in Pasadena. Sometimes we skip over luncheons and we listen to lectures by Mr. Armstrong. Or it was a lunchtime, I'll forget about lunch. Let's go back to work. Why am I saying this? Because all that is part of denying yourself. You're doing something which you don't do it pleasantly. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 20, uh, 16, verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life, you want to save your life, I want to save my life. That's why we are here. We want to live forever, if possible. So we are here to just learn how to one day live forever. So it's says, Christ says, if you desire to take his life, you will lose it. Interesting. You see, these two contradictions. We all want to live yet will lose, lose our life. Take time. 
If, if you have nothing else to do tonight, let's say, take this verse and just chop it as I did with the other one. You want to live forever? Be sure that you don't lose your life. But whoever loses his life, now wait a, wait a moment. Can I lose, how can I lose my life? Again, the answer is at this feast today. Whoever says, loses his life for my sake, now we're getting someplace. So find it. See, this is the way to study the Bible, brethren. Then, then you know what's happening. You don't have to just twist or make statements. When you be sure that when you quote the Bible, you're quoting the right way. Those two verses give you exactly what it means to deny yourself, to really help each other, to really know that you have a guarantee from the Creator that you could really make the kingdom. The first step, of course, we must take as Christians, you know it. First, recognize that you're sinful. And leaven represents sin, puffs up. You heard again, time and again, in the sermons. Everything that makes puff up, your ego, your vanity, get rid of it. It is not easy, it's the hardest thing. But the more you can get rid of your vanity, as Solomon says, all is vanity, the more you get, you get rid of your vanity, the closer you can get to God. You see, you have to confess your sins, not to man, but to God. I met people who say, I don't know how to confess. Brethren, you're not confessing to any man. You're confessing to God, close the doors, close everything else, be one-on-one -on -one with God. And just, you can tell him everything you want, he will hear it. I want God, he will do it, but he will hear it. If it is good, he will do it. So this is what I mean by discussing the right way with God. Those are the things we learned and we still do as we become, as we become Christians. You see, once you're baptized, after you recognize your sins, now that we start all over again, we're going to start all over again, once again, now what do I do? I remember one of the saddest experiences I had. Uh, it was long ago again, I was anointing someone. Now please, if you don't learn anything from this sermon, at least don't repeat the mistake that the individual made. 
he was sad. He was pretty sick, I can see it. He said, Mr. Apartheid, will you please anoint me? Yes, I did. I put my heart in the sermon, in the anointing. Guess what? After I said, Amen, he says, now what do, you, what do you recommend me to do? It's just like a cold shower. See? If you have any doubts, do it ahead of time. But after you're anointed, don't say, now what do I do? You have done what you're supposed to do. Period. If you have to do something else, do it beforehand. See, that too is part of your learning. Once you get those things and you really understand, you will know that the Bible has a lot to teach us. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, 26, 27. Luke 14, 16, 27. I mean, 26, 27. If anyone comes to me, again, the same subject, in different way of approach. Christ says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, bam, I know automatically that, you see, God doesn't want to hate anyone. Therefore, there's a, either mistranslation or a misunderstanding of the words. See, if you study that Bible, there, is no, there are no contradictions. Yet some people see contradiction. I've seen people show this verse. You see, I have to hate someone, I don't like him, and God says so. No. See, you have to, in comparison, come to the point of hating your mother, your father, your sister, whatever it is, you're not worthy of him. You cannot be disciples. See, try to understand the way the Bible is written. Try to understand that God is love and he cannot hate anyone. We'll punish, we get punished for doing the things which we are not supposed to or not good for us. But God doesn't hate. He punishes. He hates sin, but not people. And then he says, and he, whoever does not, verse 27, bear his cross. How often the word cross comes in the Bible. The cross is when Christ suffered. And Christ says that you have to bear your cross, you have to take it like a, like a man, so to speak. And suffer if need be. If you don't do that, he says, you cannot be my disciple. You know, I was in Europe. I did not take part of, but I saw the Holocaust. Brethren, you cannot imagine what it means to suffer. You can see naked individuals being whipped or burned alive. 
that that is not <laughs> easy to watch nor is it is it easy to just suffer or bear your cross what did these people do that you and I haven't done or deserve bear better those are questions I've asked myself the fact remains that you and I brethren are blessed because God has opened our minds and through God's opening our minds we are going to be able to help one day individuals like that who have gone through hell it isn't easy I've seen people cry like babies grown up people because it's hurting so much in this country we are blessed as you heard in the sermons we have so much to be thankful for but we don't show enough gratitude as you heard we haven't learned to say thank you God and mean it we haven't learned to say I'm so blessed even though you don't have much yes one day I was in Haiti again and you know it, it, it moves me right now they don't have much of anything but they had gone out and spent a whole month's salary so to speak to honor me with a steak which I didn't need and then they look at me and said aren't we blessed aren't we blessed because they had a piece of steak maybe it's the first time in their lives they have a piece of steak see I'm trying to show attitudes what it means to deny yourself we today in this country we have lost something I was so eager to come to this country I wanted to be an American citizen I became and I was so proud to be an American citizen today I'm not so proud not because I don't love the country I love it not because I don't like the Americans I love them I love all of you but we, but we have lost something we have lost a touch with God with the Bible this was the country that God took as an example Israelites to show how to live we lost it I don't have to tell you you know very well everything which God says in the Bible not to do we do it and we pretend that we are God's people we were God's people we can still be God's people but we have to change we have to deny ourselves you see brethren the Apostles in their lives they had to deny themselves do you think it was easy for the Apostle Paul 
to go through sufferings the way he did? Look, Paul could have been a big shot, so to speak, in his own rank. He was a Roman citizen. He was an officer. He punished or executed the Christians. He had power over the Christians. What did he do? He denied himself. He took the hard way. He took the way which is not only denial, but also losing what you have. Yes, Paul lost everything he had. It's, it's not easy, you know. You, you have everything, just like Moses, I'll come to it in a moment. He had everything. Yet he gave up. Paul was able to, or actually doing, persecuting the Christians. What did he do? He became one. So he became a martyr. He began to suffer. That's Paul. What does it say? Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul is speaking. I beseech you, he says to, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Again, stop. So don't go any further. Why does he say, by, by the mercies of God? That, to me, is most important. Find out what does it mean. By the mercies of God. I beseech you. He's not saying, I ask you, I beseech you. That you present your bodies. Look at this. Living sacrifices. You know, when you read like that, you don't have to have anyone to explain to you. It's just so clear. He says, Living sacrifices, holy. What does holy mean? It's from God's point of view, not man's point of view. Holy, acceptable to God. See, there it is. It just explains. Which is your reasonable service. It's beautiful. Now I can read this sentence and I know what it means. I have to do what God says, what God wants, which is acceptable to Him, then I don't have to worry. What comes next, frankly, it is, it's not important. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. God will take care of me. This is what we should be learning in Church of God. This is what we learn when we came first and this is what we are beginning to lose I'm sorry to say brother when you come from 120,000 to about 7,000 as we are today there's something wrong someplace it is there's something wrong someplace because we didn't have to lose 100,000 people why did we lose? Or why maybe 
we still be losing because of vanity, vanity, self-love. Because of we want what we want, we are not denying ourselves. We want to get more things for ourselves. I met someone not long ago. He had a beautiful car in the church, beautiful house, wonderful job. You'd be surprised. He lost everything. Not because he did anything wrong. He lost his job in the engineer. And everything he had was on a credit. So what does he have? Nothing. Where does he sleep? In the car. With his wife. See, when you have had it so much, and you lose everything like that, you know there is something wrong someplace. He didn't have to lose all that. We don't have to. Maybe one day we are going to lose everything we have. I've seen this happen, brethren, before in Europe. It will happen again in this country. It is happening in this country. So I continue, Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. That's what happened to us in this country. And we're still doing it. Every day when you look at the paper, there is something which is not good for us, and we're doing it. He says, transform by the renewing of your mind and Passover helps us to renew our minds Passover helps us to put leaven physical leaven no spiritual leaven out of our lives <coughs> hatred jealousy all the fruits of the f- flesh all that you have to put out of your life to be able to know what it means to be a living sacrifice. The word sacrifice is paradoxical because you sacrifice something, you're giving up something. But you see, God says, you'll be a living sacrifice. You don't kill yourself. It's a living sacrifice. What is this? Holy, acceptable to God, and not be conformed, verse 2, to this word, but be transformed. How? The renewing of your mind. See, that's the whole thing we're doing. We want to be baptized. We want to be baptized. We did get baptized. We renewed our, renewed our mind. And what happens? Which is your reasonable service. See, I'm doing purposely. I'm taking the Bible, chopping it, and in such a way that you cannot help but understand. That's what God wants us to do. What's wrong with it? Nothing. What good can come out of it? Everything. 
You by so doing, you'll be drawing close to God. You'll be seeking Him every day. And God will be a part of you. Don't ever complain, brother. I don't care how much you suffer. I don't care, so to speak, how much you lose or you have lost. Don't complain. Because you deserve worse. So do I. So once you have that in mind, then you can go to bed and say, Thank you, God, for being so kind to me. Thank you for being so loving toward me. This to me is what it's all about the wake of unleavened bread. This to me is what it means really to deny oneself. You heard in a sermon about Galatians. Uh, maybe I should take it. Maybe I won't even finish this sermon here. I never finished it in Arkansas. But let me just go over something which you have heard tens of times by Mr. Meredith. Let me read it again my way. Galatians 2.20. Now you can see how you can see this thing from this point of view. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Stop again. How? Did Christ have to suffer? No. Did he suffer? Yes. Did he give up his life? Yes. So how can Paul say, he has been crucified with Christ. It's very simple. He suffered. We should suffer with him. And not complain. Show me one word in Christ's preaching when you see that he's complaining. So you can be crucified with Christ when you don't complain no matter what. So long as you put the sin out of your life. It is no longer I who live. So there it is. Christ paid the penalty. Therefore, from that moment on, whatever happens to me is for my good. Those are not empty words, brother. Those are really true words of Wisdom, that's what the Bible says. This is, I, because I no longer live. Christ lives in me, is it? If Christ lives in you, you keep the Sabbath. You keep the unleavened bread feast. You keep all over, all the other feasts. If Christ is living in you, you don't go after sin. You don't desire something which is not good for you. But you see, a lot of people in the, in the world, they don't understand this. They think they can please themselves and they can also please God. No way. That's where the church of God is different from the other churches. You can't please man and God. Sure you can. But you have to 
separate yourself from God. So, coming back to this Galatians 2.20 again, and the life which I now live in the flesh, we all do, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does it mean? I believe that Christ did pay the penalty. I believe that Christ suffered for me. I believe that Christ is, is now living in me. If He lives in me or in you, we won't be doing the things which we want to do and which are not good from God's point of view. That's simple as that. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. 